0: All right, well, we are looking at Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. Heaven for the childlike only. I think you will find this is a great text, and there's some fun things here. But let's pray before we jump into it. Gracious God, we come to you as sinners needing your grace. And how opposite your ways are than the ways of the world who would ever think that those who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven are so much different than those who are great on earth help us to apply what we learned this morning help us to examine our own hearts father we need you to save souls this morning to help people see their need for christ to help people realize they are headed for hell if they don't know Jesus, to rescue them. And we need you to work in all of our lives, even if we know you, Father, so that we leave here not just with more knowledge, but changed and transformed and better equipped to live our lives for you. Father, bless us this morning as we look at your word and consider its application for our life. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you wanted to be, you know, an NFL or NBA, you know, championship player, think of all the training you would have to go through, all the practices. And just really, you'd have to be at the peak of your physical fitness or if you wanted to be a a gold medal Olympian. Or let's say you wanted to be the most sought-after lawyer in the United States. Just think of how much study that would take and discipline and sacrifice. Or if you wanted to be the greatest surgeon in some category, you know, just how much study and and surgeries and, and how you could have to function under pressure. Think about if you wanted to be the greatest builder or even the greatest secretary or even the greatest mom. It just... The variety of things you need to know how to do and, and the discipline it would take and the energy it would it take. But the question is, well, what if you wanted to just get to heaven? What if you wanted to escape hell? How then must you act? What, what must it happen? What must you do? What does it require? The context of our passage this morning is going to lead up to a text which tells us. Jesus has been teaching, he's been saying some parables, and we aren't even sure when exactly the text we're going to look at occurs in the chronological sequence of events. We know that it occurred right after Jesus taught on divorce. Luke doesn't mention that, but Matthew and Mark, who have parallel texts, tell us he, this little incident of Jesus' teaching happened Right after he taught on divorce, we'll see why in a little bit. But Jesus has taught us a couple parables. One about an unjust judge and a needy, persistent widow. And another one about a self-righteous Pharisee and a tax collector. Both things taught us about prayer. And I think what happens is in the mind of Lucas, he's kind of assembling his gospel. He's thinking about that humble and broken tax collector who prayer was heard by God and in thinking about that he then thinks about something else Jesus said that related to humility and that is our text so look at Luke 18 and follow along as I read verses 15 through 17 where the text says, and he were and they were bringing their even their babies to him, that is to Jesus, so that he would touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they be, rebuking They began rebuking them. But Jesus called them, saying, "Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all." Now, though the weight of this text rests on this last sentence, there are some very important truths here just about children and parenting in general. And so I want to give you three exhortations from this text that will hopefully encourage you in how you think about children and parenting and hopefully will provoke you to see if you have those childlike qualities needed to enter the kingdom of heaven. The first thing I want to point out is you need to seek a blessing from the Lord for your children. You know, when we get to heaven, it's my hope that, you know, I can say, "Now, Jesus, could I sit in the heavenly amphitheater, maybe the 3D amphitheater, and just kind of see your ministry played out? Or better yet, could you just like transport me back into time to be an invisible spectator? To biblical events wouldn't you like that i want that sure he can do that i know he's going to let us do that and so i'm just i'm just having faith that he's going to let us do that and i know what would happen i could just see sitting there with a bunch of people watching events in jesus life and the whole time saying oh so that's how it was Oh, now I get it. Oh, I totally missed that. Oh, yeah, th- of course. And you know, I knew it would just be able to see the whole thing would just fill in all of these gaps that we don't quite understand. But those gaps, when we look at the text, we just need to step back and we need to say, Okay, the text says these few little lines, but what is the bigger picture? What is most likely happening here? And that helps us so much understand the text. Jesus, at this time in his ministry, has achieved superstar status. Tens of thousands of people are gathering to hear him preach, to get healed. They're just swamping him. Earlier we learned from Mark's gospel that Jesus wouldn't even enter into a town because he was afraid that if he did, there would be so many people smothering the town that it would like render the town non-functional. Do you have a human traffic jam? And so Jesus then would approach little towns and he would like be on the outskirts and people would sit on the hills and he would teach them or by the lake and he would teach them. And so you need to keep this in mind. You also need to keep in mind that Jesus is working himself to death, literally. He's working himself to death. He's, he's on a death march. He knows he's going to die. He keeps telling him he's going to die, but they just can't fathom it. And we're going to see it again later on towards the end of chapter 18 where he tells them flat out. And the text says uh, they just couldn't understand it. It's like, What do you mean? Then you're just getting a movement, man. It's, it's happening. You know, we're bringing in the kingdom. Talk about dying. You can die when you're 80 or 90. They have no idea what's going on. But Jesus does. And so he's literally working himself to death. And of course the disciples are concerned about this and though the disciples are of some pretty stout constitutions some fishermen and things and, and yet they're, they're worn out trying to keep up with them. You see that in the garden, right? When Jesus is praying right before his arrest and how they keep falling asleep and Jesus has to keep rebuking them. It's like, get up um they're they're exhausted jesus is exhausted and so they're trying to protect jesus to a degree like anyone would of a friend as they see jesus surely at this time even though he's you know 33 years he's probably getting lines on his face and dark circles under his eyes and he's tired and he sits down in the hustle and bustle of of ministry of just constant relentless ministry and this is what we read in Luke eight eighteen 18 verse 15. And they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. This term babies means infants. These are young children, you know, probably three years old and younger. younger. These are young children. The word babies here is really young and then child is used, but it's also very young and then they wanted Jesus to touch them. Um uh, that's how blessings were usually conferred in that culture. You would put your hands on somebody and touch them. Matthew says he was praying for them and uh Mark says he took them up in your arms. And so you can just you get this picture here of Jesus just, you know, grabbing those little chubby wonders and and um and just holding them and hugging them and praying for them. It's just a very precious picture. And you can imagine that that as, she, as the crowds are just mobbed around and the guy with the hurt back saying, you know, honey, do you think I should go and ask him now? And well, somebody else is in line and there's other people in front of you and some person with this problem and that disease and this disease and other people just want to see a miracle or hear a cool teaching. They're all just mobbing around and one mother in the back says to a, another mother, do you think Jesus might bless my little Jacob? And the other mother thinks, well, why didn't I think of that? I wonder if he'll bless my little Sarah. And then a father who's standing there thinks, hey, I want a blessing from my son too. And so this woman starts moving through the crowd and pushing through the crowd going, I'm going to get a blessing for my child. And the other one goes, well, if you're doing it, I'm doing it. And pretty soon there's a small stampede of people coming to Jesus, bringing their babies, infants. And surely they're crying and making all sorts of, of noise. And I just want to just stop at that point and, and just point out something here. There's a lesson to learn here. For all parents, and it is this, bring your children to Jesus. These people were smart enough to want a blessing from Jesus for their children. And you need to do the same. I know you may be thinking there, but but Pastor Jack, he, he has died and ascended into heaven. He's hard to get to now. But there's other ways you can bring your children to Jesus. Let me give you five quick ways you can bring your children to Jesus. First, bring them to Jesus in prayer. In prayer. Pray for your children. Pray for your children's salvation. I just want you to know that I pray for your children before they're born. When somebody tells me, oh, I'm pregnant, I pray for that child. I pray for its salvation, its health, a good birth, to grow up, to love the Lord and serve the Lord all the days of their life. And parents, you need to do the same. You need to pray for their husbands and pray for their wives and pray for their careers. You would pray for your children. But most importantly, pray that they come to know the Lord. So bring them to Jesus in prayer. Secondly, bring them to Jesus in the scriptures. Teach them the Bible. You know, you start out with little picture books and little tiny tot Bible book. And, you know, you bring them those little chubby plastic ones that they can drool on. And you teach them Bible stories. You tell them about Jesus and you tell them and you encourage them and you remind them of the truth so that they know about Jesus. You know, so that Jesus is just part of your family. They don't, They haven't figured out why he never shows up, but we're talking about him all the time. He's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we pray to Jesus. We talk to Jesus and we don't want to sin against Jesus. And we ask Jesus for forgiveness. And then Jesus would do this and Jesus wouldn't do that. And we need to be like this. And what would Jesus do? All of these things need to be part of your teaching and training of your children, even from the very young age. Third, bring them to Jesus by coming to church. This is just an addition to that. You bring them to church to be around people who love Jesus and put them in Sunday school classes where they learn about Jesus and have flannels and pictures and drawings and art and glue sticks about Jesus. You know, it's Jesus, Jesus. Everything's about Jesus so they can learn about Jesus and and find out what he's like and who he is and how he lived and fourth, you can bring them to Jesus by your example. You show them how to live for Jesus. A Christian, literally the word Christian means little Christ. They should be able to look at you and say, there's Jesus. My dad's like Jesus. My mom's like Jesus. You remember when the, the disciples said, show us the Father? And Jesus said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen what? The Father. Well, when they look at you, they should see what? Jesus. Because we are to be followers of Christ. We are to be Christ-like. And so bring them to Jesus by your example, by your priorities, by your commitments, by what you do at work and by what you do at home and by what you do at church. And five, bring them to Jesus by taking them to those who will teach them about jesus in church history tell them about the great missionaries and godly saints of the past read them those little chubby missionary books and if you're a parent and you've read them you go oh i love those they're great aren't they they aren't very long and the print's kind of big and they summarize, but you get to learn about Hudson Taylor and just cool people of, of history who love the Lord and sacrifice for the Lord. And there's a whole series of them. And after you read the little chubby one for kids, you think, I think I'm going to read the big one for people. Big people. And so, yeah, you read it. And you know what? You can teach your children so much about Jesus by talking to them about what did this person do? Was that good or that bad? Why did they do this? And you can bring them to Jesus by teaching them about church history. And so, you may not be able to carry your little ones into Jesus' arms physically, but you can bring them to Christ. It is the number one goal of parenting. Bring your Child to Christ. Secondly, don't think children are a waste of time, but I value them. As the disciples are worried about Jesus and his fatigue and all the crowds and all the pressure and all these people who have serious needs, diseases, and all sorts of things, they're trying to manage, you know, they're trying to manage God incarnate. And so as these women and fathers we know from the pronouns there's both men and women there are coming to jesus with their little babies the disciples look at the middle of verse 15 when the disciples saw they began rebuking them it's like wait 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 don't bring your babies your babies are fine they're not sick are they Go back. Go back. There's people here. Look at that man. Look at his disease. There's the leper on the outskirts over here. Look at him standing on that hilltop. He can't even get close. That man needs healed. Look at this blind person here. Look at that person with the withered hand. Look at this demon-possessed person. Take your babies back. Look at verse 16. But Jesus called for them, saying, Permit the children to... To come to me and do not hinder them. Mark tells us that Jesus was indignant. That is, he was moved to anger that they would try to hinder these mothers and fathers from bringing their little infants to Jesus. Think about that. Bring them here. Do not stop them. Permit them to come. Why? Because Jesus valued children. And didn't think they were a waste of time. It's not that Jesus valued children more than adults. But he didn't value them less. He just saw them as little people. Little people in need of grace. People in need of grace. They're just little people. Created in God's image with eternal souls. And the lesson we learn here is that children are not a waste of time, but they are valuable. They're valuable because they're the little God image bearers. And they're the future generation who, by the way, will be taking care of you. Think about that. Who do you want to take care of you? Raise that person. You know, many today are advocating even Leaders in the medical profession, I read of this one lady, I think it was in London, who was a leader in the medical profession, said, you know, we just need to realize that when people get older and they're no longer able to be productive, we need to basically put them down like a horse with a broken leg. Think about that. She's talking about me. She's talking about you. You know, as soon as you get a little old and a little feeble, we'll just shoot you in the head and put you out of your misery because you're no longer contributing to society. Well, yeah, somebody like that needs to remember there was a time when they were feeble and they were little and they were not contributing to the society and their parents didn't kill them. But that's what's being advocated today because, oh, that person's an inconvenience. Listen, you better value your children and work at leading them to Christ and train them to be responsible, loving, just, honest, hardworking citizens who respect authority, respect life, and love the truth because soon they will be taking care of you. J.C. Ryle in my favorite little pamphlet on parenting called Duties for Parents warns, quote, Fathers and mothers, I charge you solemnly before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Take every pains to train your children in the way they should go. I charge you not merely for the sake of your children's souls. I charge you for the sake of your own future comfort and peace. Truly, it is to your interest to do so. Truly, your own happiness in great measure depends upon it. Children have ever been the bow from which the sharpest arrows have pierced men's heart. Children have mixed the bitterest cups that men have ever had to drink. Children have caused the saddest tears that man has ever shed. Adam could tell you so. Jacob could tell you so. David could tell you so. There are no sorrows on earth like those which children have brought upon their parents. Oh, take heed, lest your own neglect should lay up misery for you in your old age. Take heed, lest you weep under the ill treatment of a thankless child in the days when your eye is dim and your natural force abated, end quote. That is right on. Parents, listen to Ryle. And if Ryle isn't authoritative enough, then listen to God. God. Proverbs 17, says, He who sires a fool does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Verse 25 of Proverbs 17 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Proverbs nineteen thirteen says, A foolish son is a destruction to his father. Children are not a waste of time. They are a very worthy investment. Parents, don't be selfish with your time. Work to raise followers of Christ, responsible citizens for the next generation. As mentioned earlier in the parallel text in Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15, and Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, Jesus taught on this. This incident occurred right after he taught on divorce. So he taught on divorce And then bring the children to me. Why do you think he did that? While parents squabble over their own selfish interest, who suffers for their contention? The children. When husbands don't love their wives or wives don't love their husbands, who suffers for it in the long run? The children. When divorce occurs or mom and dad vilify each other in front of their children, who suffers for it the most? The children. You know, some even deceive themselves into saying, well, we hate each other, but we're not getting a divorce for the good of our children. It's not for the good of your children. It's to appease your own guilty conscience. It's bad for your children. Children are not ignorant. They're not stupid. They can see that their parents don't love each other, don't have kindness, compassion, love, and affection for each other. They can see the hypocrisy. They see right through it. And parents who stay married but refuse to love each other teach their children that marriage is a misery, a drudgery, a stage for hypocrisy and feigned love. And who suffers for it? The children. The choice isn't whether to get a divorce or stay married in a miserable coexistence called marriage. The choice is for husbands to love their wives as Christ of the church and wives to love their husbands and to mean it. And to do it actually so that the children can see what it means to have a God-honoring marriage. Recently, I was talking to two women about parenting. And they had met my children and asked how I raised them to be so wonderful. I said, well, you should see them at home. They're actually good kids. But I told them I didn't raise them. My wife did. Uh, She did most of it. But uh, we started talking about parenting and um and so they said so what so, uh, so like what's the, what's the secret i said well the secret is to parent them according to the scriptures and to start when they're really young they said well how, how, how young i said as soon as they show any volition grab things kick scream tantrums you start young I said 90% of all parenting happens between the ages of one and five or one and six. Just if you don't get them those first five or six years, you've lost the most critical window of opportunity. By the time they're five or six years old, they should be able to obey when you ask them to do something the first time. So in other words, when, when you say do this, they should say yes, mom, yes, dad, and do it. No threatening, no repeating. The first time, they should say please. They should say thank you. They should be able to do certain tasks, little basic tasks on their own. They need to hold, need to show respect towards other people. They need to look people in the eye, know how to greet people, how to be kind. I was talking to these women about these things, and the two women looked at each other and said, well, what if we missed that little window of opportunity? Our children are much older and and they're not really obeying. Well, they're experiencing what Ryle warned against. I told them that children are like wet cement and the older they get, the more set in the ways they become. I told them that if you neglect those years for selfish reasons, then you're going to pay for it later. You're going to pay. You're just going to pay more. The longer you wait, the more you pay. Believe me. I said, and it's never too late to do what is right. You sacrifice any hobby, any business adventure, anything you need to, to work on your children and get them the way they need to be before they leave home. So they can cook and so they can clean and so they can do a checkbook and so they can do basic things of life that everybody needs to know how to do. So they love the Lord and know right and wrong and respect and thinking about other people more important than themselves. Listen, if you don't get to them when they're young, then it takes the jackhammer and backhoe when they're teenagers. But you got to do it. At this point, I'm just tempted to launch into an eight week series on parenting, but I'm gonna leave that up to Tim and Brock. Who are going to spend all summer teaching a class on parenting here Sunday nights at six p.m. If you are a young person and you're thinking, you know, I'm just in high school or I'm in college and I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, marriage is way off for me and I don't know about kids, go. Don't wait. Until all of a sudden you're holding a baby and you can't get, you're sleep deprived, trying to figure out what do I do with this thing? No, beforehand. It'd be like going driving, you know, and somebody puts you in the car, go, okay, I'm steering now, okay, we're on the freeway, we're going 70, okay, go. That's not the time to say, so how do you drive? That, that's too late. You prepare beforehand and then drive. You prepare beforehand and then have children. You don't wait. And experiment on the eternal souls of your children. And so go to the class. And if you have young children, go to the class. If you have older children and you've missed that window of opportunity, go to the class. Don't wait until your child is born or grows up to be a teenager before you ask, I wonder how I should parent. It's not like growing a garden, you know, where you sow some seeds. And if things don't work, you just plow them under. You get one chance to raise your child. One chance to bring them up in the fear and admonish the Lord. You miss it, you blow it. And then you know who suffers? You do. And the next generation until they die. Husbands, husbands, husbands. Become experts at parenting. You make sure. Your children are raised right. God holds you responsible as the head of your family to make sure your parents are or your children are parented according to the scriptures. You make sure it happens. You become the expert. You talk with your wife about it. You make plans. You talk about it. You reevaluate. You deal with each children as they need to be dealt with. The world having departed from God and having rejected the word of God is failing to raise responsible hardworking, respectful children who love the Lord. Instead, they're just letting the TV raise them and the internet raise them and the world raise them. And when someone is, uh, you know, really fanatic, they'll go down and buy some book by some God-hating psychologist who doesn't know anything about parenting than the world because they're of the world and their own children are out of control, but they're writing a book on parenting for money. And you go read some books on that and try and, you know, deal with them. Listen, the scriptures tell you everything you need to know. But if you don't go into the scriptures, you don't find out, do research, figure it out. Then you're going to raise children like those described in 2 Timothy 3. Verses 2 through 4, where Paul says that they become lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parent, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutals, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that describe our generation or what? That is a generation that has neglected to parent. The legacy of Parental failure is violence, you know, immorality, teen pregnancy, abortion, stealing, lack of respect for authority, corruption among authority. And we have all these problems in society and people are trying to deal with the surface issues and no one's saying, you know what the problem is? Parenting. You train them in the way they should go when they're one to five, they go that way. You neglect it, they go their own way. And now we are living in a, a generation where parents, by and large, had failed to parent. And I want you to know, you fail in parenting your child. You inflict the next generation, your own soul, with 40-plus years of misery. That's if they die young. You need to raise your children that people so people love being around them. This is one of the telltale signs that you're doing a good job. Do people love being around your children? If not, why not? What are they seeing that you don't? You're sitting there in the airport, and some child's running around, dumping over the ashtrays, or you know, kicking over things and digging dirt out of the pot, and, and the parents sitting there looking at a magazine, and everybody's going, "Ah, oh, don't let that be your children." Psalm 127 verses three through five says, "Behold, children are a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak of their enemies at the gate. Why? Because they value their children. He says they're like arrows in the hand of a wire. I mean, imagine running out into the battle with no bullets. No arrows. And you know, the bad guys are coming. you reach back there and your quiver's empty. You need them. You need your children. You need them to be godly and to love the Lord and to respect authority and to love the truth. Why? Because they're the next generation. They're the ones who are going to take care of you. They're the ones who are going to be in control of the world when you are feeble and old. There are many smart, gifted, talented children who their parents are ashamed of. It's not about getting good grades. It's not about getting them piano lessons and voice lessons and, and take them to every sport possible and expose them to every little thing that the world's doing. That's not what we're talking. We're talking about character. Character matters honesty, integrity, hard work, follow through. Those are the kinds of things you would instill in your child. And you know what? If you do that, the grades and all that other stuff will come. But you can raise a child to be very successful and very skilled and very accomplished in the things of the world, and yet that child hate God and be a misery to you. Character. Go for character. Lead them to Jesus and go for character. Now, Tim and Brock will preach you the rest of the summer. Third, remember you must be like a child to enter heaven. Now, this is really the thrust of the text. Look at the end of verse 16 where Jesus goes on to say, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He's making a comparison, such as these. Comparing children with adults. He's talking about that those who end up in heaven are like children. This becomes more clear... In verse 17, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. In other words, you can't even get to heaven if you aren't childlike. You have to receive it like a child and be childlike. These are the two things in the text. You have to be like children. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is converted and becomes like become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you aren't converted and become like children, you won't enter heaven. So this is a critical text because it tells us that something has to happen. You're an adult, you're living your life, and there must be a conversion, a transformation, a change. You must become a new creature in Christ. Jesus said it, A little differently to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, people talk about, well, are you one of those born again Christians? It's the only kind there is. There are no non born again Christians. You must be converted. You must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. You must become like a child again or you can't see the kingdom of God. That's what the scriptures teach. Secondly, he says you must receive the kingdom like a child. Implied like a child receives things from his parents. You might be wondering, so, so what exactly does this look like? I mean, how do I know if I'm actually saved? How do I know if I'm a Christian? How do I know if I've been converted? If I've been born again? Let me give you 10, ten quick things to look for in your life. First, children depend on their parents for everything. You take a newborn, stick them on the floor, they stay on the floor. That's it. They can't walk. They can't talk. They can't feed themselves. They can't dress themselves. They can't get warmer or colder or anything. They're totally dependent on their parents for everything. And this is how every Christian is. When they come to salvation, they realize, I cannot save myself. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not wise enough. I am a sinner. I need God's grace. I am helpless to save myself. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 5 verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless, we're like little babies and we can't do anything to save ourselves then Jesus saves us. Secondly, children trust their parents completely. Young children just believe their children their parents are going to take care of them. They they never doubt it. You know? You ever see one of those dad balancing his child on his hand out here and the child's giggling or they take the child and throw him up in the air and the child just laughs higher is better. Now, I just imagine if there was some somebody here strong enough to pitch you on the air. You think that'd be good? You'd go, ah <laughs> Why? Because you think you're gonna drop me. Not a child, man. They think it's great. They totally trust their parents. They totally trust their parents. The elders have been reading a book by Steve Miller called C. H. Spurgeon on Spiritual Leadership. In the chapter entitled, A Faith That Endures, Miller quotes one of Spurgeon's biographers who talks of of Spurgeon's close friend, E.W. Hoyt, who said that one of Spurgeon's outstanding qualities was, quote, childlike credulity. Spurgeon expected the almighty as a loving heavenly father to meet all of the necessities of his child, telling Dr. Hoyt of all the money he needed for his various institutions. And by the way, Spurgeon started 66 ministries. You can imagine how much money it took to take all those. Keep them going. Sixty six institutions. He was unconcerned as a little child holding his mother's hand. There were no lines on his face or brow there was no shadow of anxiety upon his face, only the large, good-natured English smile. Yet there were 500 orphans to feed, widows to be maintained in the almshouses, professors' fees to be paid, in his college and students to house and sometimes clothe. Spurgeon's attitude was, the Lord is a good banker. I trust him. He has never failed me, so why should I be anxious? End quote. Miller goes on to quote Spurgeon himself, who said, quote, you believe in God for your soul. Believe him for your property as well. Believe in God about your sick wife or dying child. Believe in God about your losses and bad debts and declining business, end quote. Just trust God. That's the kind of childlike trust that we need to have in God. Third, children Look to their parents for guidance. I mean, children are little. They just need to be carried around. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how to get there. You can't take them anywhere, even if they could walk and they were just, you know, barely learning how to walk. They don't know where they're going. They just go where they're told, where they're pushed, where they're carried. They trust their children to guide them. And this is how Christians are. They realize, man, I don't know how to live for the Lord. I don't know how to overcome the sin. I don't know what to do with this situation. So I'm going to go to God for guidance. I'm going to go to his word. I'm going to look at his scriptures. I'm going to talk to other godly people who know God's word. I'm going to find out what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to get there. For children are not proud of their achievements. They don't even know they're achieving anything. They're too dumb. They can't talk. They're just looking around, drooling. You know, they don't know. They, you put them in a sandbox, they put sand on their head. They don't know anything. They're just, they're little. They're kids. It's like, man, you know, they're just soaking it all in, aren't they? They're not, they're not saying, they, well, look at this great sandcastle I've built. They don't even know what a castle is. They're little. They're not proud of their achievements, and so as every Christian. When they come to God, they realize, listen, I have nothing to boast about before God. Everything good I've ever done, I've done because he gave me the resources and the ability and the opportunity to do it. And everything bad's my fault. So I have nothing to boast about before God. I'm not proud of my achievements. Five, young children do not trust in their knowledge because they don't really know much. I mean, they pull their own hair and wonder why it hurts. (laughs) They've never read a book. They've never gone to school. They're just soaking it in. They're just breathing in life and checking it all out and they're not puffed up and so is everyone who comes to christ you got to start out as a little baby and go okay i don't know anything about the bible i've there's been times i've had grown people and it just it always reminds me you know i say, well turn to you know john chapter 3 verse 16 they go what's that the gospel of john it's like what's that is that something in here yeah yeah let me show you And so, so, okay, here's the gospel of John. Okay, turn to chapter three, verse 16. What's that? There's three chapters. It's about to divide up into chapters. Every chapter is numbered in verses. Okay, okay. They have no idea. No idea. Some of them have no idea. And it's so cool. They don't know anything. They're babies. They may have a PhD and they're babies in Jesus. Everybody comes as a baby. Six. Christians are humble and broken over their sins. You see this, especially when they're little and they find out they've you know, displeased mom or dad and you have to say, no, no. And all of a sudden their little lips start pooping out there and their face gets all crinkly and the tears come down. And they realize, oh, I'm sorry, if they can talk. And so Christians humbly confess their sins. They do something wrong. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, hey, pal, You blew it. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Please help me. Please forgive me. Please change me. And we're just quick to go to God, quick to confess our sins, quick to be humble. Seven children look to their parents for protection. You know, you just see this all the time. I mean, you just, you know, take a little child and you're out and about and all of a sudden there's a big dog. And if that child is, you know, walking, that thing's crawling up your leg. Dog, Ah. Um, you know, they're just, there is, there's, they know mom and dad are going to take care of them. There mom and dad are going to protect them. You know, when they are going across a busy street, they're, they're, they're looking, they're clinging for protection. And that's how Christians are. You know, you can only be so safe, right? You know, you can build a big wall around your house and then have security scanners and, you know, laser beams and bars on your windows and live inside of a vault. But, you know, you can only go so far. And then you just have to realize that I'm just going to have to trust God and live my life. Otherwise, I'll just be paralyzed by fear. Like Psalm 34, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. He just realized, you know what? God knows everything. You know what's cool about this? Is God always rescues us. You know, even if you were arrested for being a Christian and they tied you to a stake and they put wood around you and we're getting ready to light it on fire, he's still going to rescue you now some people look at that and go what do you mean the guy's getting burned at the stake he's gonna die i have news for you everyone dies are any of you not going to die i'd like to know it is appointed for men to die once right i'm gonna die and you're gonna die so let's not get all freaked out about dying you're dying just face it everybody dies and nobody really knows when they're gonna die right And so you're going to die sooner or later. The issue is not, oh, no, so-and-so is going to die. We're all going to die. The issue is, are you going to live after you die? Jesus said, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. That's right. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. Everybody goes over the river of death and either into the second death or to eternal life. And so God even rescues those who have to die for Christ, but everybody dies, and all Christians are rescued. Eight: Children expect loving compassion and care from their parents, and it's only natural they want they expect their children to be, nice, their, their parents to be nice to them, to love them, to have compassion on them, to take care of them to feed them and nurture them. They just know it. It's just part of it. And every Christian knows that too. Every Christian knows they're not worthy. And every Christian knows that God's going to love them because he's shown them love and because he's promised them love. And so they just expect it and he gives it to them. You know, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God would die for me? And that's how it is. And every Christian experiences that every day. Nine children readily receive from their parents whatever they were given, you know, and when children are little, you just put anything in their mouth, they eat it they, they drink it they don 't know they just they just don 't know they just don't take it, whatever comes, and you know what when christians and it 's so cool to see this. That, you know, a lot of times we kind of worry that if we get into a a situation that somebody else is in, we're worried that we might not be able to respond like them because we can't imagine responding in such a peaceful and calm way going through a trial that that person's going to get through. Have you ever experienced that? And you just think, I wonder if I could ever do that. And you know what? You can because God's grace is sufficient for each person as they go through the trial, not for those observing other people going through the trial. And so and so, as you're watching and you're thinking, man, look at what's happened, that person, the trial. And you're just thinking, man, I, I wish I could just respond. I've seen so many people go through some really intense stuff and say things like, well, God is sovereign. I know this is part of his plan for me and I'm going to trust him. And you're just thinking, that is so cool. I hope I can do that. You will if you know Christ, because his grace is efficient. You just accept whatever he brings your way. Knowing that it has a purpose, and ten, children show love to their parents. They show love to their parents. This, in the estimation of J.C. Ryle, is the telltale sign of a believer. You can fake pretty much every other aspect. Of being a Christian, coming to church, reading your Bible, serving in ministry, giving. You can fake all of those things. But the one thing you can't fake is love to Christ. You know in your heart whether or not you love Jesus. You just love him. You can't find any Christian who says, oh, I love Jesus plenty. I love Jesus enough or I even love Jesus too much. You can't find anybody like that. But every Christian, when you talk to him, says, you know what? I don't love Jesus enough, but I love him. I love him for dying for me. I love him for being patient with me. I love him for being so forgiving and kind and compassionate and long-suffering. I forgive him for the trials he brings in my life, which fix me of all my problems. And I love Jesus that that people tells us really the most about us and really every other thing i said fits under that category do you love jesus first corinthians sixteen twenty two says if anyone does not love the lord he is to be accursed why because love of the lord is where it all washes out do you love jesus or not You know, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I am not childlike. I don't see myself as helpless. I actually see myself as pretty good or, you know, I've been kind of trusting in this or I was kind of hoping my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds. And I was hoping God would see all my good works and applaud me when I got to heaven or whatever it is. And you realize you're not childlike. You can change that right now. You can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who lived that perfect life, who died on the cross, shed his blood for your sins, repent and believe, and God will convert you. He will cause you to be born again. And those childlike qualities will then be manifested in your life. And you will become more and more aware that you're becoming more and more like a child in relationship to the Lord and salvation. So do that. Don't. Don't delay. And for the rest of us, may we as parents bring our children to Jesus as the first ultimate priority. And secondly, may we not undervalue them or think they are a waste of time, but invest in them for the glory of God. And thirdly, may we all examine ourselves to see if we have those childlike qualities That are needed to enter into the kingdom of God. And if we don't, to seek the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Jesus' teaching. Father, to use children as an example of what every person needs to be like to enter the kingdom of heaven. To have that humble, innocent, pure trust in Christ, in Christ alone. To know that there is nothing they can do to earn favor, to earn salvation, but to to just trust, to trust in Christ. Father, if there's people here, and I know there are, who have never done that, just help them to do that this morning. Change their heart. Help them to be converted, to become childlike, to be born again, that they might see your grace, and your glory, and your love, and fall in love with Jesus. And Father, for the rest of us, may we pursue those qualities which are indicative of your children, that we might give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.